Our scripture reading uh, this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, uh, Luke chapter 6. If you please turn with me there, Luke chapter 6, and we'll be reading verses 1 through 11. Luke chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. Uh, This morning we uh, conclude our short series on the fourth commandment uh, here in the Gospel of Luke. You might remember we began uh, with the uh, heart Uh, of the commandment as we found it in Isaiah 58, that is, that we are to call the Sabbath uh, a delight, that is, to regard it as a delight, to experience it as a delight. That's the heart of the fourth commandment, to delight ourselves uh, in the day that we might delight ourselves in the Lord. Uh, We went back to the beginning. We went to the book of Genesis to see uh, that the Lord has actually given us the Sabbath uh, as a gift uh, from him, a gift at creation both to rest from our work and to spend the day in the worship and celebration of his redemption. And then last time we saw that the, really the climax of the Sabbath commandment is found in, in the book of Revelation when the Lord Jesus appears uh, to John on the island of Patmos on the Lord's day, uh, the first day of the week, the day of resurrection, and reveals himself to John uh, in all his in all his glory. And that's what the Sabbath commandment is all about, that we would see the redemption of God, the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ uh, as we walk in his ways. And so uh, today we come uh, to Luke chapter 6 and Jesus' confrontation uh, with the Pharisees in the life and ministry of Jesus, which we can really see as Jesus' uh, recovery, his recovery of the Sabbath uh, for its Uh, intended purpose. And so let's read then Luke chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. This is the word of the Lord. On a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those with him? And he said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was withered, and the scribes and the Pharisees watched him, that is, watched Jesus, to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath, so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts, and he said to the man with the withered hand, Come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them all, He said to him, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury, fury. They were filled with fury. And discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, help us, we pray today. We've come uh, to this place to know you better, to love you more. Help us, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, both in the preaching of the word and the hearing of the word as we celebrate the sacrament today as well. 
Lord, that we might see much of you and your goodness and your grace. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, once there was a great king who built a beautiful city. And in the middle of the city, uh, the king designed a delightful park, which was laid out with ponds and fountains and springs and magnificent trees from all over the world, beautiful plants and flowers, lawns and pathways and benches where people and families might walk and sit together, a large amphitheater for, for public meetings. And the king met with his subjects in the park. His people delighted in the time spent with him and with one another. One day, the king had to go away, and in his absence, the rulers he left in charge began to let the park run down. Although they still held civic events at the amphitheater, these rulers had little interest in the park. They did not truly have in mind the king's interests, and soon the park was overrun with weeds, trees weren't pruned, uh, the plants died, the pools of water became dirty, and the park was in ruins. After a time, a new group of rulers came into authority in the city. They were genuinely concerned about the park and uh, began to restore it to its former beauty. They pulled out all the weeds, they replanted all the gardens, they pruned the trees, they repaired the pathways and the benches, and they opened the stream so that fresh water again flowed through the park. But they were fearful that the park might again fall into disrepair. So in order to protect that park, uh, they made it a a memorial to the king, rather like a, a museum. And they continued to hold meetings at the amphitheater, but they they ended up putting a fence around the park's border and along the pathway so people could look at the beauty in the park, but they couldn't actually use the park and enjoy the park. Then one day, quite unexpectedly, the king's son came to the city, and one of the first things that he did was to tear down the fence, and he said to the rulers, enough of this. This park was built for the people of the city to remember my father and enjoy, but you've kept them out of the park. So after removing all the fences, he invited the people to come and meet with him and one another in the park. Uh, Because the king and his son are still occupied throughout their great kingdom, they've appointed leaders in the city. Regrettably, of late, these leaders once again have allowed the park to become unkept and trampled down. Weeds overrun it, trees are not pruned, the ponds have become dirty again. And because it's lost much of its beauty, people no longer come to the park. The amphitheater is still in good repair. Public meetings are still held, but uh, people are losing interest. And the park is so unattractive that they see no need to go there at all. Recently, though, uh, developers seeing the land unused have begun to um, uh, seek to put up an amusement park where the park used to be. The historical society is opposing them, wanting instead to restore the park and preserve it for the sake of tradition. Still others want to see the park restored to its original purposes. All are claiming the interests of the king and his son as their motivation. Needless to say, the king's subjects are quite confused. The fourth commandment, which we have been considering these past few weeks, reads like this. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Isaiah, we noted, exhorts us to call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord Honorable, not a burden, but an exquisite delight. The Lord, we find at creation, blessed the Sabbath day as a day of rest, holy to the Lord and God's special gift to us. And in the book of Revelation, it was on the Lord's day, the first day of the week, that John was overwhelmed with the presence of Jesus 
the resurrected Lord. It was a day to worship and to see him in all his glory. Our king has given us a park. And that park is called the Christian Sabbath, the Lord's Day. It's full of beauty for us to enjoy, to find rest, and delight ourselves in the Lord. But the park has become run down. In this passage, Luke 6, Jesus sets forth the true meaning of the fourth commandment in contrast to the perversion of that commandment by the legalistic teaching of the Pharisees in his day. Now, in many ways, this passage of Luke 6 is probably hard passage for us even to begin to understand. Uh, we have a lot of problems, to be sure, and we sin against the Lord in many different ways. But a Pharisee-like keeping of the Sabbath is probably not one of them in California in 2022, uh, truth be told. In fact, our problem is the, is the opposite. Even in parts of the professing Christian church, there's a belief that there's no need to keep the Sabbath holy at all. We've got the opposite problem. We have a hard time relating to the mindset of the Pharisees. Jesus tells us in Matthew 5 that he did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. The law, says Paul in Romans, is holy and righteous and good. This is love for God, said John, to obey his commandments. Jesus said, you are my friends if you do what I command. And so a Christian knows that uh, the Lord's commands are there to be obeyed and enjoyed, and that if you know Jesus Christ who saved you from your sin, holy by his grace, uh, you are motivated, just like the Lord Jesus was motivated, in all that you do to delight him and to please him. And so you want to know, Lord, what would you have me do? And so we love his commandments. We walk in his ways to bring him, him glory. We know that that's the right place of the law of God in the life of the Christian. Uh, it is a joy, not a burden, to please the Lord for the Christian. We also know that uh, in the Old Testament, the book of Chronicles, the prophet Jeremiah and Nehemiah tell us that one of the reasons why the children of Israel were sent into exile, into captivity, is that they had not observed the Sabbath. They had not kept the commandments of God. They had disregarded them. And so when they come back from captivity, uh, it's very apparent that the rabbis and the teachers were determined that Israel was not going to make that mistake twice. And so over a period of 400 or 500 years, an entire tradition, you might know, grew up of how one was to keep the Sabbath, with hundreds and hundreds of man-made laws and hair-splitting distinctions. For instance, the exact distance you could walk on the Sabbath, uh, the amount of a load you could carry on the Sabbath. Remember, Jesus healed a man who, um, uh, who was lame and, uh, on the Sabbath, and he said, take up your bed and walk. And uh, instead of the folks rejoicing in this act of healing, the folks around him were saying, that's too heavy to be carried on the Sabbath. Disregarding, of course, the work of, of Jesus. So we know that that, that developed, and, and it kind of developed that, um, you know, these, uh, keeping these laws, man-made laws, was seen as an outward mark of great piety or godliness. But all the while, we find out that God's command to call the Sabbath a delight, to rest from our work, to give ourselves to him all the day in worship and in celebration of our redemption and to give ourselves to one another in love and service, all that got lost under the debris of a self-righteousness. And instead of a day of rest and gladness, it became a day of burden and sorrow. So that's how that developed in Jesus' day. But today, many, would we say most, 
professing Christians in the United States don't seem to believe in the Sabbath at all. I remember here in this church, I was here a few months after I arrived, and as the morning worship service was about to begin, um, a family who have since moved away years ago, a family just as the service was about to begin stood up and left the place of worship uh, quite suddenly. And I thought, oh no, something's happened um, in this family. So later after worship, I called this family uh, on the phone, thought there was some kind of emergency or bad news. And uh, when I called them on the phone, I heard loud noises in the background. And uh, apparently, um, they'd been sitting in the worship service, but realized it was the day. There was a car show that they were hoping to go to. And it started at 11 o'clock, and they forgot. And so they, they left the worship of God to, to go to a car show. We choose many things over the worship of the living God and the resurrected Christ. Sometimes the slightest difficulty or a sniffle will keep us away. Or I might say to myself, you know what, I think I might be getting a cold next Saturday. I I can't come to worship God. A meal with a family member will keep us away from worship of the living God. Sometimes a cheap airline flight will keep us away from the worship of God. And by the way, have you ever noticed they seem to be the cheapest on the Lord's Day? I wonder why. A ball game, a music concert, a TV show, their name is Legion, you fill in the blank, but we choose many things over calling the Sabbath a delight and delighting ourselves in the Lord. On the other hand, in another day, the delightful Sabbath may have been covered up under an avalanche of man-made burdens that it was hardly recognizable as the biblical Lord's Day. can't remember if I told you this story or not, but I remember a pastor telling about a a trip he had made to Scotland, to the island called Lewis, and uh, witnessing perhaps an example of this mindset in Luke 6 that Jesus is describing. And this pastor had worshipped in a, uh, in a church in the evening. They had sung some wonderful songs, and as he was walking up the stairs uh, out of the church hall after the evening fellowship, he was whistling a tune. And as he was walking along, he felt this big hand come down on his shoulder, and he turned to see one of the ruling elders standing there, and the ruling elder said, and this is my best Scottish Son, the Lord's day is not a day for whistling. That was a pretty bad accent, but you get the idea. So there's that too. We have no idea of the mindset that Jesus was facing in his own day, but it's clear throughout this passage that these men, these Pharisees, were not ultimately concerned too much for the law of God. Get that straight. The problem with Pharisees in the Bible is not that they care too much about the law of God. It's not that they are too concerned with obedience to God. It's that they think that they care a great deal about the law when in fact they have more concern for their own man-made traditions. That's the Pharisee. It's not that uh, they, they love God's law too much, but they love God's law and His word and His will and His pleasure too little that they go about establishing their own righteousness. Their hearts and their delight are not in him. And Luke 6 and many other passages makes that clear. So first of all, Jesus confronts their, uh, their formalism or their externalism. On a Sabbath while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, why are you doing 
what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. Even a God-given blessing and gift like the Sabbath can be misused. In this passage, Jesus and his disciples are walking through the grain fields. It's the Sabbath day. It's the day set apart to God to be holy unto him. They're walking through the grain fields on the way to the synagogue to worship, on the way to do works of mercy, as we find out. And as they do so, the disciples become hungry, and so they begin to pick heads of grain and rub it between their palms. They eat it for food. Pharisees see this, and uh, they take that as an opportunity to accuse Christ of having mistaught his disciples and of having led them into less than godly behavior, that is, leading them into sin. The disciples, however, we find out, were not actually breaking God's law. Imagine, for instance, if Jesus had broken the fourth commandment, which tells us to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And imagine if Jesus, for a moment, had encouraged his disciples to break the fourth commandment. What would that make Jesus? Well, that would make Jesus a sinner. And you and I would still be in our sins because the Bible says he had to live a perfectly obedient life under the law of God in order that he might be the spotless, sinless sacrifice uh, so that we might be justified freely by his grace. So the Lord Jesus isn't encouraging his disciples to break the fourth commandment. In fact, in Matthew's recounting of this incident in Matthew 12, Jesus says in this story to the Pharisees, if you had known what this means, if you'd known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned, Jesus says, the guiltless. In other words, Jesus says they are innocent of the charge. Jesus wasn't teaching his disciples to break the fourth commandment any more than Jesus ever taught his disciples to break any of the other ten commandments. And by the way, the disciples weren't stealing either. You might be saying to yourself, well, wait a minute, this doesn't sound right. When I was a little kid, if I walked through somebody's apple orchard and started you know, grabbing their apples or their oranges off the tree, I'd maybe be arrested and uh, something, like, something like that. Uh, what are they doing walking through somebody else's grain field and picking the grain? Uh, but you'll remember in the Old Testament, in the book of Deuteronomy, God made a provision for just such people like the disciples, for those who were poor, for they were allowed to go into another grain, another's grain field. They were allowed to pick the grain with their hands. They were not allowed to take the scythe to the grain. They weren't allowed to, you know, back up a tractor trailer and, 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 and you, know, haul, you know, haul someone's whole field away. But in, 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 in a case where they, they, they needed food to eat, uh, they were allowed to do that. God made provision for that to provide necessary food for themselves. And the disciples were apparently in that circumstance. They're hungry, and so according to the law, they picked some of the grain and ate it. But the Pharisees, you see, were looking for an opportunity to attack Jesus. These folks were not looking to uphold the law of God. They were looking to tear down the Messiah. And so we learn, first of all, from this passage, that even divinely appointed religious means of grace, like the Lord's Day, like the Sabbath, a gift from God can be misused. Evil men can hold to the outward form and yet miss the whole point. And so again, make no mistake, the Pharisees did not love God and God's law too much. They loved God and his law too little. What they really loved and fought for was their man-made additions to the word of God. And so their attack gives Jesus an opportunity here in this passage to respond to their formalism, their externalism, that is, an outward conformity to things, uh, but their heart is not in it. It's not for God, not for Jesus at all. They designed an ambush 
And the Lord Jesus uses it to teach his disciples something very important about the heart of a disciple. So here it is, secondly. Jesus goes on to tell them that works of necessity, works of mercy, are lawful and pleasing to the Lord on his day. Notice what we read, verse 3. And Jesus answered them, have you not read? Haven't you read your Bible? What David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those with him. And he said to them, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Not, incidentally, Pharisees. Now notice his words here. As the Pharisees accused Jesus' disciples of breaking the fourth commandment, Jesus goes to the Old Testament for an example to show that they were not breaking the commandment. He goes to 1 Samuel 21 to tell the story of David and the consecrated bread. You remember that there was bread put in the temple or the tabernacle that was consecrated before the Lord as a reminder always to the people of how the Lord had provided bread for them. Uh, When it had finished its time in the temple, uh, it would be given to the priests and they would eat it. And only the priests would eat it. Only the priests could eat that bread. But in 1 Samuel 21, Jesus says David and his men were having to flee from persecution they were in the wilderness. They, they had to leave hastily. They had no provisions. They showed up at the tabernacle, and the priest Ahimelech lets them in, gives them the showbread to eat. He gave them the consecrated bread. And the Lord Jesus is saying, now look, in the Old Testament, that consecrated bread wasn't to be eaten by anybody, even the king, only the priests. And yet, in a time of necessity, it was lawful for the priest to give that bread to David and his men because they were in need. The disciples had to eat. That's a work of necessity. You, you've got to eat as they were seeking to serve the Lord. More than that, friends, the Old Testament itself tells us that the priests worked on the Sabbath. They had to prepare the sacrifices. They had a lot of work to do, the priest did. Leading in worship is necessary on the Lord's day. It's work. Now, you might wonder what I do the rest of the week. Um, you know, what's pastor doing the rest of the week, you know, and that kind of thing. And so you see me on Sunday, but even on Sunday, when you see me up here, you might see at times, you might see beads of sweat on my forehead because uh, to, to preach uh, is, is work. It is labor. It's a necessary work if we would worship the Lord. In order for God's people to worship him, priests were needed to carry out their calling before God, even as elders and pastors are needed today on the Lord's day to lead worship services, preach the gospel, uh, have the elements for the Lord's Supper prepared. Sometimes chairs need to be set up and all these things. You need to eat in order to worship uh, in good strength today. You need to get to the place of worship by, by driving your car here. Whatever's necessary to keep the Lord's day holy is good and pleasing to the Lord. Jesus is teaching that obedience to man-made tradition under the cloak of obedience to God is never an excuse to ignore human need. The Lord Jesus, friends, is saying you can never use a professed love for God as an excuse for ignoring love of your neighbor. And the last half of this passage shows the great difference that exists, doesn't it, between Jesus and the Pharisees. Verse 6, on another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was withered, and the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath, so that they might find a reason to accuse him. 
But he knew their thoughts, and he said to the man with the withered hand, Come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. Jesus goes into a synagogue. He sees a man with a shriveled hand, and immediately the Bible says his heart of compassion is moved, and he wants to see that man restored. He wants to see that man uh, healed. And the Pharisees at the same time want to know how they can catch Jesus in something they can accuse him of that will cause him to lose face in front of the people. Isn't that amazing? Here's a man with a shriveled hand, and Jesus has compassion for him, while these other men who are there, they see the same needy man, but these supposedly godly men, all they can think about is not that man in his need, but about criticizing the Messiah and accusing him in such a way to discredit him. Well, here's the thing. Jesus has compassion for the needy. He has compassion for sheep without a shepherd. He has compassion for sinners. He has compassion for the broken. He has compassion for the weary. And his desire is to restore and not to destroy. Think of, a, uh, think of an antique car dealer when maybe they are called out to an old farm and someone has found a vehicle in their barn. And an antique car dealer is called out to that farm. A broken down Model T Ford is sitting in the barn. And, uh, and that their impulse, that the antique dealer's impulse is not get this unsightly thing uh, you know, out of my sight. Take it out to the junkyard. No, uh, what they see is something that needs to be restored. right? Restored to what it was originally created to be. And Jesus sees this man, and and his heart goes out in compassion for him. And again, in Matthew 12, Jesus reminds the Pharisees that if one of their sheep were to fall into a pit on the Sabbath, they would pull him out. (laughs) You ever ponder over that passage where Jesus confronts them? He says, well, listen, on the Sabbath, if you had a sheep fall into a ditch, you'd get him out. But... Here's a man in the place of worship who needs your help, and you won't help him to heal him and to restore him. In other words, they had provisions whereby you could help a distressed animal, and yet no place for helping a human being. That should sound familiar to you. It's much like today, when one might sacrifice many of their worldly goods to save a dolphin, but then give large donation to Planned Parenthood, which takes the lives of babies within the womb. Oh, but I'll save the dolphin. I'll save the whale. So we're not that far off, really, from this passage. And, uh, and so the Lord Jesus rebukes them. He rebukes them. They show no love in their hearts towards this needy man. They have no compassion And we see this ultimate contrast, verse 9, And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them all, no one was speaking, by the way, after looking around at them all, he said to him, the man, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored, but they were filled with fury. See, Jesus is healing while they're conspiring to destroy him. The point here is this. Who loves the law of God more, Jesus 
or the Pharisees. Well, there's no contest here. Jesus is the one who loves God's law. He loves God. He loves his neighbor. He's keeping the Sabbath. He's doing good. He's, he's showing mercy. So yes, pastors need to work on the Lord's day, doctors, nurses, police, and fire, all protecting life, saving life. There's a reason that it's, it's not mercy to allow murder and break-ins on the Lord's day and close the police station. Aren't you glad? Um, it's not mercy uh, to let someone's house burn to the ground because it's the Lord's day. You need to save that house. Aren't you thankful that hospital doors are always open to preserve life and to save life in the nursery on the Lord's day? We need folks to work to serve the Lord. We need people to bring, to bring food, to prepare food in the morning so that the whole church family can have fellowship together after worship. We need people to play music during the, uh, during the worship service. And depending on how difficult the pastor's being, that can be really difficult, right, Tim? That can be hard work, playing music so that we might sing praises to God. Setting up and taking down the signs. If you don't have time to serve the church family and fellowship with the church family on the Lord's Day, because you have other things to do on the Lord's Day, you don't have time to serve the Lord's people. You don't have time to do good on the Lord's Day. You've missed one of God's great purposes for you. I mean, this is the day to do good, says Jesus, and to serve, to visit the sick, to visit the housebound, to host people in your home, to rest, to worship and to do good. And don't ever say you don't have time to serve. We all have the same amount of time. We simply choose to spend our time either on ourselves or God or others. We all have the same time. It's always simply a matter of priorities. Our confession of faith recognizes this. Confession of Faith 21.8 says this, This Sabbath is then kept holy unto the Lord, when men, after a due preparing of their hearts, ordering of their common affairs beforehand, that is, getting that work done those six days God's given us, do not only observe in holy rest all the day from their own works and words and thoughts about their worldly employments and recreations, but also are taken up, this is what we believe, this is what the Reformed Presbyterian Church has confessed for hundreds of years, that on the Sabbath, on the Lord's Day, on the day of resurrection, we're to be taken up the whole time in the public and private exercises of his worship and in the duties of necessity and mercy. Jesus, friends, teaches us in this passage that showing mercy is always right, and especially on the Lord's holy day. I mean, isn't that one of the things behind the story of the Good Samaritan, the priest and the Levite? They just didn't have time. They couldn't be bothered. They didn't want to get their hands dirty with the needy and the helpless. You know, what would we have done if the Lord Jesus had decided he was not going to take the time uh, to get near to the needy and the helpless and defiled sinners like us? Jesus is saying in this passage that the demands of mercy are actually at the heart of the law of God. You know, remember the man with leprosy, you know, a man with leprosy came to Jesus and, and, uh, needing to be healed, and, uh, and everyone, you know, no doubt around Jesus, were thinking, oh, Jesus, don't touch this man, because if you touch him, he, uh, uh, you will become unclean like him. 
But instead, the Bible says Jesus reached out his hand to touch him. And instead of Jesus becoming uh, unclean in any way, uh, the man, the Bible says, was restored. Jesus touches us and we become clean. He doesn't doesn't hold back. Uh, He gives himself to the needy and the helpless. Jesus, friends, is exposing the hearts of these men. Call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable. And then you shall take delight in the Lord. And Jesus is saying in this passage that these Pharisees don't even understand the law. They don't understand that the park is for the purpose of glorifying and enjoying God. And they'd put up man-made fences and Jesus was tearing them down. They needed to understand that observance of the law is not just something that is external. Showing up at an amphitheater in the park once in a while was not what God had in mind. Worshiping God is not just something that is outward. Honoring the Lord's day is not just something we can take care of with an hour or two or less. Sunday morning, it's something Jesus says that proceeds from the heart, honoring Jesus as Lord of the Sabbath. It's from Him. It's to Him. Through Him. This day of rest and worship. And so Isaiah said, If you call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord. Could it be, could it be that in our nation, with so many professing Christians, but so little, it seems often, actual likeness to Christ, that though our mouths speak His praise, that our hearts are far from Him, and that we do not truly delight ourselves in the Lord, and we do not find any delight in the day He's given us to honor Him. Jesus, friends, wanted the Pharisees to know who was Lord of the Sabbath. Christ is saying He's Lord. He's the Master. It is His day. It is the Lord's day spoken of in Isaiah 58. It is the Lord's day spoken of in Revelation 1. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath, not the Pharisees. No man, not me, and not you. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. And he is the one who reveals to us, friends, what is pleasing to him to rest from our work, to worship him all the day. And this passage tells us to serve one another in acts of mercy, and to do whatever's necessary in order to worship and serve Him and His purposes on this His day. So yes, Jesus is assaulting the formality and the formalism of the Pharisees, but He is just as easily, and make no mistake, He is just as easily assaulting the selfism and the individualism of our culture today. We may not live and believe like the Pharisees, but do we understand that Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath and not me? Have we hijacked, perhaps, the Lord's Day for ourselves and made it family day? Have we hijacked the Lord's Day and made it my day? It is not your day to do as you please. It is the Lord's day to do as pleases Him. 
Do we understand, friends, that today is no ordinary day? Do we understand that God has called us to lay aside our work today? Schoolwork, housework, business work, to give to Him. Do we understand that not only are we to rest from our work, but not encourage others to work either? Why would we do that? When God in His Word has has told us that, yes, we are to rest, but also our neighbor, even our, even our animals and things like that, and our servants. We are to rest, but we're not to carry on business as usual, at, uh, shopping as usual, going out to eat as usual, making others work and serve us when God has called them also to rest from their work. Friends, do we understand that God would have us to spend our time in this day seeking him out in prayer and worship alone with our families, with the body of Christ? Are we honoring this day? Friends, if we do, the Bible promises that we will find our joy and delight in the Lord. And friends, never forget that we can rejoice that the Bible tells us for the Christian, it is never burdensome to keep the Lord's commandments. This, says John, is love for God to obey him and to keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. They're for our good and for his glory. They're the loving provision and gift of the God who saves us by his grace. The Lord Jesus is not assaulting the Sabbath. He's not saying there's no longer any weekly Sabbath for my Christian followers. If Jesus had wanted to say that, this would have been the perfect opportunity for him to say it. And he didn't. He didn't say to his disciples, now disciples, you hear those Old Testament Pharisees, they just don't understand that the fourth commandment, unlike the other nine, the fourth commandment uh, doesn't apply anymore to Christians. Jesus could have said that, but he doesn't. Instead, he corrects their misunderstanding and twisting and perversion of the law of God, but he does not attack God's law. He fulfills it. He obeys it. He recovers it for its true purpose. And he calls us friends to walk in his way. Our Lord does not do away with the observance of a weekly Sabbath. There's nothing in the New Testament to justify any such conclusion. The plain plain truth is, friends, that our Lord did not abolish the law of a weekly Sabbath. He only freed it from its man-made additions. He did not tear out of the Decalogue, the fourth commandment, and leave us with nine commandments. He only stripped off the miserable traditions with which the Pharisees had encrusted that day and by which they had made it not a blessing, but a burden. And then he rises from the dead on the first day of the week in the glory of his resurrection, the day of resurrection. And on that day, his disciples gather week after week to celebrate and rejoice in the redemption that comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me close with with this. On September 22, 2011, the question of the Lord's Day uh, made the sports headlines. It was the Rugby World Cup 2011, and this is what the headline read. Devout Ewan Murray questions Sunday matches. The article went on to summarize what was at stake. Devout Christian Ewan Murray has questioned the need for Rugby World Cup matches to be played on Sundays. The Glasgow-born prop, 31 years old, has chosen to... This is, a, this is a, by the way, a, this is an unbelieving news network reporting. 
The Glasgow-born prop has chosen to prioritize his faith this weekend, meaning he will miss Scotland's Pool B clash with Argentina on Sunday. That's a big deal if you follow rugby, which I know you don't. Um, But he said this, I don't see why there have to be games on Sunday, said Murray. I hope things will change in the future. Back in 2008, Murray did play on a Sunday when Scotland took on France and the Six Nations. But after his faith deepened, he says, he announced a year later that he would no longer be available for selection on Sundays. This is what he said. At the time, he said this, it's basically all or nothing following Jesus. I don't believe in pick and mix Christianity. I believe the Bible is the word of God. So who am I to ignore something from it? I might as well tear out that page and then keep tearing out pages as, as and when it suits me. If I started out like that, there would soon be nothing left. I want to live my life believing and doing the things God wants. And the Sabbath day is a full day. Ewan Murray, Eric Liddell, Hobby Lobby or Chick-fil-A for that matter in our day today, as well as any other Christian who testifies today when they're given a, say, uh, given a job and they say, no, I, I cannot work on the Lord's day. Testifying. What are they testifying? They're testifying that following Jesus and believing and doing the things God wants is more important, more blessed, and more delightful than anything else. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. Not me, not you. And when we walk in his ways, we testify to the world around us of the glory and grace and power and beauty of the one who has saved us by his grace and that we delight ourselves in walking in his ways. And so, friends, as we come to the end of this study, may we rejoice in God's gracious gift of rest, fulfill the purpose of finding pleasure in pleasing the Lord and delighting ourselves in the holy day of the Lord as we delight ourselves in Him. And may we continue to walk honoring Him on His day, serving His purposes in worship, in rest, in doing good, in showing mercy, all showing to the world that He, in fact, is the Lord. May it be so of us in these days. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, you have given us your gifts. Uh, You've given us great gifts. And Lord, we thank you for this fourth commandment that we've been considering for some weeks now. Lord, we know this is a gift from you, but we know, Lord, that because of our sin, it has been encrusted and covered over with so many man-made additions that we've lost sight of your call upon our lives to find in this, your day, the day of the resurrected Christ, a day to worship you, to serve and love one another, to do good, to do acts of mercy, but most of all, to offer ourselves wholly and completely to the worship of your great and holy name, remembering your grace, proclaiming your grace and mercy to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us in our own day, as was needed in the day of Jesus, to recover this Christian Sabbath the Lord's Day, to your honor, to your glory, and for the everlasting good of your people. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.